tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Megagoria, Shackfire, Dial A for Abduction, and Missing Bank Executive. co-host crystal and i'm your other co-host robert and this is reenacted an unsolved mysteries podcast uh crystal right robbie yes no you no you no you no No, okay no you okay no you so before we started recording we were having the most excellent conversation about a film series Mm -hmm. Uh, that yeah. that film series, of course, being the Bill and Ted movies, uh, I had mentioned uh, when we first called each other up that I had just seen Bill and Ted Face the Music, which I mm-hmm. uh, I actually found to be a satisfying experience. Um, I was a skeptic going in. I was kind of mm-hmm. resistant mm-hmm. to the movie, but I feel like it naturally... It uh, flows from the other two. Uh, good film. Mm-hmm. I kind of uh, mm-hmm. felt a little uncomfortable when I realized I was very much attracted to the actress who plays uh, Keanu Reeves's daughter in that film. So mm. I, I guess that means if I was a lady and I was interested in men... Uh, I would be mm-hmm. pretty inclined towards Keanu Reeves was the conclusion I drew. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it's so hey, like like being attracted to Keanu Reeves is for everyone. Yeah, it's yeah. for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he is. Uh, he has become legend uh, in many mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Uh, he's no longer. He's no longer the goofball. That I used to, that we used to think of in the eighties, um, which, but anyway, you proceeded to ask me the question: which uh, did I prefer, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or Bogus Journey? And I proceeded to mm-hmm. subject you to about ten minutes of rambling uh, yes. uh, about those films that really didn't result in what one could consider to be an answer. I no. Uh, I'm I'm still lost. <laughs> and then I proceeded to ask you which your favorite wa- fil- film of those two were, and mm-hmm. you were like, maybe that should be our little opener for this episode. <laughs> so right. <laughs> I now ask you again, Crystal. Yes. Which is your favorite of the two? Uh, not counting this latest one, Bill and Ted movies, Excellent Adventure or Bogus Journey. Well, I haven't seen Face the Music yet, but I will. Yeah. I have a, I, I am fully committed to seeing it. Um, but I only, I've only seen both of the preceding Bill and Ted movies. Okay. Uh, within the last two, for the first time within the last two years. Oh. Oh wow. Okay, that's a revelation for me. I, I didn't realize. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna. I'll drop another bomb after after we discuss this so i'm i'm seeing them with adult eyes so i don't have a lot of like nostalgia wrapped up in bill and ted one and two or excellent adventure or bogus journey so i'm seeing them with adult eyes yes um 
so that said, I am definitely partial to Excellent Adventure. Okay. And I, I'm, I mean, we might get emails about this. I, if, I thought it was pretty straightforward if, like, simple, right? Yeah. You have them going back in time to, to round up a bunch of historical figures for their, like... Is it like a talent show or book report or something? Supposed to do? <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a history report. The movie is introduced brilliantly by George Carlin. Like I knew immediately when George Carlin is talking about what's going on in San Dimas at the beginning of that movie. I'm like, I'm gonna like this movie. <laughs> like I knew it immediately. I'm gonna like this, and I did. And um, you know, I liked Napoleon going to a water park and being yeah. a real jerk. Yeah, I liked all of that stuff. Um, but you know, Bogus Journey. There's a couple of things I don't like because there's that's the one where there's like duplicates of Bill and Ted, right? From the future, and they're real meanies, <laughs> and I don't like that. <laughs> and um, while I like, I appreciate the there's just a lot of the whole thing with the board games and trying to trick death by playing board games to get out of like going to hell or whatever yeah and and i understood that to be a reference to whatever that ingmar bergman film is uh, the seventh um, seal or something the seventh seal yeah. yeah yeah where he's playing chess with like i understand they took that and they were like what if we just kept building on that and we made it a whole thing um which i appreciated but like how many people who are seeing Bogus Journey are, like, understanding what the reference is the first time? Do you know what I mean? Admittedly, when I, uh, like, at least, uh, I mentioned I've only watched Bogus Journey four times. Uh, at least three of those mm-hmm. times I, I, w- I did not know the reference. Uh, I think it was only my right. most li- recent um, view- uh, viewing that I had seen Seventh Seal, so. I'm, I'm just wondering who was that for? Right? Like, who was that for? <laughs> uh, you know, the other thing The other thing that there's some language, I'll say, in both Bogus Journey and Excellent Adventure that doesn't age particularly well. So I'm hoping that, uh, obviously, in Face the Music, they have to have not oh, yeah, yeah. Well, use those well, phrases. Well, yeah, I, I, I do know that, you know, in Excellent Adventure, there is a very, very regrettable... A uh, bit of dialogue, which mm-hmm. um, is uh, very—it was very jarring. The, like the most recent time I watched Excellent Adventure, and the first time in a long time, I was like, "Ooh, ooh, yeah." Uh, it's it's like a it's like you're on this like p- like pleasure cruise, and then it comes to a screeching halt, and you're like, "Oh yeah, right, that was just a thing, a phrase people threw around." Yeah. Like it was nothing, um, and of course I, you know, I grew up hearing people call each other that all the time, as I'm sure you did. So, right, um, you know, it was just it was just bandied about, and but now it'd be it's very jarring to hear it and to hear it out of the mouth of somebody who isn't a bad guy, right? Because Bill and Ted aren't the bad guys; they're the heroes of the yeah. story, right? Oh no, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, if you guys have seen the movie or you haven't, you can go back and watch it, like figure it out. Um. So yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, I'm really interested. I don't, Robbie. I don't know if I told you this, but about a year ago, they put out. Maybe you told me about it. An open casting call to be extras in Bill and Ted Face the Music. Oh, here in LA. Yes, I. 
I had forgotten, but I believe you are correct that I actually <laughs> informed you of that. Um, yeah, and I was, I, w- I think I texted, I was at work at the time, and I was like, I was like the next day, they were calling for extras to come down to Hollywood from like one to four o'clock or something. It was just like in the middle of the work day, right? And I was like, I was talking to uh, my significant other, Dave, about it. I'm like, so I'll see you, I'll see you there at one. Like, we're going to do this, right? We're going to go be extras. But then, like, neither one of us could get away from work. It was just not oh, a good, a good no. time. So, so we are not in Bill and Ted Face the Music, though. I suppose we could have been in the background of some kind of... I assume there's some kind of nightclub scene, because that's what they were casting for. So Yeah, there there is there is a nighttime scene that involves uh, extras... Uh, which, oh my God! If only you, oh, if only things had worked out so that you could be in that. This episode of mm. Reenacted and Unsolved Mysteries podcast could, at this very moment, be dropping the big, big news that if you went and saw Bill mm-hmm. and Ted face the music, you, yeah, you, you, there would be a connection between the two. What there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> However. Last week, not this last week, the weekend before last, I went camping, and that involved us driving through San Dimas. Wait, San Dimas is an actual place? Yeah, yeah, it's like a little suburban town, like, like way east of L.A. Oh. Not, it's not in L- East L.A., it's like if you keep going past East L.A. Yeah. I, I, Robbie, that was exactly my reaction when I was on the freeway the the first time it happened. I was like, wait, what? Uh, I, well, <laughs> I feel better you sharing that because now, because, uh, mm-hmm. uh, oh, wow. Fascinating. Yeah. I actually passed through San Dimas a couple weeks ago. So, um, so yeah, should we, we, uh, talk about the also culturally significant, uh, program Unsolved Mysteries hosted by Robert Stack? Should we, should we do that? Yes. Let's talk about that. We are going to, uh, the country formerly known as Yugoslavia. Yeah. They, it was as soon as they introduced, uh, the segment by mentioning, uh, Yugoslavia, I was like, Ooh, this is uh, bad times are coming, folks. Yeah, in this segment though, we don't really get into that. <laughs> no, no, no. They don't. They don't discuss the 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 the, the solving of that country and the numerous civil wars that that happen. But we do get instead. We get a uh, we get treated to the to the use of a word that is repeated by my count no fewer than fifteen times in this segment. Medjugorje. Wow. Medjugorje. I think... I'm going to spell that for you. Yes. Spell it. M-E-D-J-U-G-O-R-J-E. Medjugorje. Yes. Medjugorje. Medjugorje. Yeah. Stack really has a lot of fun, like... Saying that over and over again. I think... You think he was, like, in his... He was, like, in his trailer just in the mirror going... Medjugorje. Medjugorje. <laughs> I feel like he had some sort of input in uh, sort of maybe altering the script a little bit to to have as many excuses as possible to say Medjugorje. 
Because they say mm-hmm. it a lot in this uh, this segment. I just I feel I feel, I feel like it. I I mean I I buy that. I mean, he just wanted to say it a lot. Just cause the word was probably just rolling around in that stack head of his. Mm-hmm. He probably just like set, kept saying it to himself after they were done too. <laughs> just like I did when I was done watching this segment. Um, okay, but so it's not Yugoslavia anymore. It's now actually in Western Bosnia and Herzegovina. So uh, it's in the Herzegovina region it's closer to the border of croatia none of that really matters because i'm just gonna say a bunch of bullshit um so since 1981 um a lot of people have been going there there's this story about these like young people who at 6 40 p.m every evening see a virgin version virgin a vision of the virgin mary appears to them and, uh, you know, in the segment, we very quickly go through a few stories, uh, just we kind of gloss over like various people that have gone to Medjugorje on a pilgrimage and have been healed instantly of whatever physical ailment is trouble- troubling them. Um, but we're going to focus on two people. The first person is named Jill Jensen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to go over her thing pretty quick because I really want to focus on Rita Klaus. <laughs> Okay. That comes after this. Uh, so Jill did a little bit of modeling, did a little bit of this and that. Um, let's assume, you know, she grew up in the Midwest, moved to L.A., whatever. Gets, you know, this debilitating uh, cocaine habit going on. Um, they don't quite show her. Uh, oh, so Unsolved Mysteries is very clear to us that her cocaine habit is so, or addiction is so terrible that she first burns like through the the tissue in her face and her nose, mm-hmm. so she can't snort the coke anymore. So she has to freebase coke. Um, now I'm not a like I'm not a drug expert here, but I think by the time you're freebasing coke, you're actually just smoking crack. Oh, okay. Uh, you know. Yeah. I'm not sure anybody who wants to weigh in on that, please correct me about the difference between freebasing cocaine and freebasing crack cocaine. I'm not really sure what the deal is here. But I do know that Jill Jensen starts having um, some some crackhead behaviors. Uh, <laughs> she starts, like, uh, you know, thinking that, like, bugs are... She starts hallucinating, and um, which happens with long-term uh, cocaine use, I guess. And she... Uh, Starts hallucinating. There's bugs crawling on her, and she's like digging. She would like dig so into her skin to get them out. So she was like digging sores, and she had these sores all over her body. Um, she lost a lot of weight. You know, her family was really worried about her, and she had this uh, aunt who went to Medjugorje on a pilgrimage of her own, and she came back and said said to Jill basically like, "What have you got to lose? Yeah, um, yeah. Come with me." And Jill's like, "Okay, well." Sure, um, she'll go. So they make the. I, I guess. I guess it was about a year later. Jill came to this conclusion. Conclusion she wanted to go. So she goes with her aunt. Um, there's a priest there in Medjugorje that like lays hands on her and they sprinkle her sores with holy water and cast the uh, cocaine demons out of her body or whatever. Uh, and I guess um, within a couple of hours. Jill's uh, sores begin to close. She'd had these on her body for years. She's, you know, didn't seem to experience any withdrawal symptoms. They mentioned that she was talking with the priest for about an hour. 
And they have a, reena- mm-hmm. a reenactment of the lineup of very impatient people waiting for her to finish. <laughs> I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Those people. Those people looked like they were kind of like starting to lose their their patience. It was it was great. Uh, <laughs> um. So basically, Jill Jill went and she kicked her drug habit, and she's been drug free for three years, and now has a cosmetology license. So that's that's Jill. Um. Okay, but now we're. I want to talk about. Oh, I want to talk about Rita. Before we get to yeah. Rita, can you I say mention, something else about Jill? They mentioned one of the because the Virgin was supposed to have appeared in front of like these ten kids. So I guess the, mm-hmm. the there these ten kids were sort of acting as uh, um, uh, an augment force for the the church going around dispensing whatever, and they have this reenactment where Jill and her uh, relative are in a room. And one of the the kids, the, this uh, uh, young woman, she comes in to give them like a blessing or or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when she starts talking in Serbo Croatian, whoever was in charge of writing the subtitles, they, I guess they probably just threw their hands up in the air in exasperation because like all they write is non uh, was it non English speech. <laughs> Like they're like, I don't even know what what's being what, what language this is. So, uh, I, that 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 was a moment that it's, stood out to me. Yeah, it's possible because they didn't obviously go to Magigoria to reenact this, and I'm flying over there. Yeah. Um, it's possible they just had somebody that they could find in L.A. that spoke Serbo Croatian, yeah. or they just had an actor come in and say some nonsense. <laughs> right, right. Because no one would know the difference. Admitted, I guess. Yeah, admittedly, I would not be able to tell you whether it was uh, actual uh, an actual language being spoken or just uh, an actor do- babbling out sounds. We got to talk about Rita. Rita. A little background on Rita because I think the context is very important to to her story. Okay, so Rita. Uh, was used to be a nun. Um, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Scler- scler- sorry, I'm so sorry. Multiple sclerosis in her 20s. And I guess that was an inciting event that made her leave the, uh, wherever the nuns live. The nunnery? Uh, the convent. And. Or, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, which first is strange to me. I have, I mean, I have no idea how any of this works, uh, but it, she left because she, I guess MS was enough to end her career as a nun, which, um, <laughs> I've never been a nun, I so I can't Seems really give weird. you any insight into <laughs> <laughs> she, Oh, the convent. It's not a nunnery. It's called convent. I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, nunnery like a nonsense word, probably. Uh, okay so she leaves because she has ms uh so i guess she can't be a good nun anymore or something but she does become she moves to pennsylvania she starts teaching special education and then about three years after leaving the convent she marries this guy ron uh and at this point her ms symptoms had apparently disappeared um so then within five years, they have three, daughter, three daughters, but soon, soon after that five year period, uh, Rita's, Rita has some like, uh, she's like, they show in the reenactment, she's like holding her ba- her youngest baby. 
and then like her arm suddenly gives out like she just just becomes very weak and she drops her baby it looks like the uh, the direction they gave the actress playing the her the role of her was like drop the baby but don't look like you're trying to drop it and yeah. it just sort of like falls through her arms uh, in a very very distracting manner yeah i mean i guess if she was like trying to like launch the baby that wouldn't have given yeah the intended effect uh so rita's rita starts having all these symptoms of ms again um eventually she's wheelchair bound uh there's a lot of like grotesque reenactments with the actress playing her in braces and trying to like (laughs) whoever is playing her husband if it's not her real husband like pushing her like ass up the stairs to get her. It's just it's just it's a it's just a real circus. Yeah. Um so she uh she was reading so they're in the reenactment this is so funny. She's in bed reading this magazine called like the Magigoria magazine. Magazine. Magigoria magazine. I noticed that too. Like there's an uh, there's an act which, and this is an actual publication that existed. I looked it up. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It, 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 there was such a thing. Well, how many issues of it were there? Um. Well, when I went on eBay, I found like there were some lots of like twelve different issues uh, uh, that people were selling. So I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know how long it. It. I didn't. Uh, I didn't research too deeply into the actual history of the magazine. I just saw that, found, discovered mm-hmm. that it was an actual thing and not just some weird prop that Unsolved Mysteries created as some sort of strange oh, in joke. <laughs> I think, um, you know, if any listeners want to send us a gift, I'm deeply interested in receiving an issue of Medjugorje magazine. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to beg here, but if anyone has ever thought about sending our podcast uh, a gift, I think this would probably be it for me anyway. Mm. Mm. Not for you? No, you don't want to you don't want to peruse Medjugorje magazine uh, about the miracles. I mean, I'm I'm curious, but not enough that I'd want like cuz once I'm done looking through it, I'm like, mm-hmm. it's just going to be something I'm going to have to, like, find a place for. And space yeah. is a premium in my current living condition. Um, I You don't feel like we could just send it on to another rumper? Oh. Like, as a chain letter? Yes. <laughs> Failure to forward this on <laughs> will result in the most dire of curses. Yeah, you you will not experience the miracles. If you don't spread the Magigoria magazine. Yeah. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, do you think Magigoria magazine has, like, comic strips featuring the Virgin Mary or what? Oh, my God. I, like, I really, <laughs> I really hope that it is, like, a publication that when you open it up, it, like, tries to mimic being a real periodical Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I. You think there's like a, a like a letter from the editor and Le- the letter letter from the editor. There's uh, some uh, some editorials. 
Um, you know, like, like when you, when, when you, when you look through it, like, I, I think it'd be funny if the, the person who's buying it because they're like a real hardcore Medjugorje miracle person, if they really Mm -hmm. sat down and contemplated it, they would like realize, holy crap, only about 15% of the pages are about Medjugorje and miracles. The rest is about the Ross Perot campaign. Do you think there's like, there's like, uh, like six, uh, six quick tips to please your God or something in there? Like, Oh yeah. What's going on? Like, like a lot of like boilerplate sort of like they have a, a, a little, um, section that, that they, they put some sort of, predetermined content in and they have like months worth of uh uh of what to put in there already stored up so that like you know there's there's they don't really have to write too much month from month to to get a full issue out onto the uh Mm. out onto the newsstands i wonder if they do like uh with the medjugorje visionary kids if they go like what's in their backpack and then shows like all the chapstick and holy water and <laughs> okay uh we've gone off track i'm so, i i just said anyways let's move on and then i brought up medjugorje magazine again i'm sorry everybody i i really do have like important things to say yeah about uh, you were hot this on this topic situation. you you really i am i was texting you i was texting you yesterday about this because i was hot it's fired up uh okay so here's the thing rita's re- in bed she's reading about medjugorje um, you know, uh, she starts fasting and p- praying to the Virgin Mary, uh, you know, she really wanted to go to Medjugorje and like, like be healed or whatever. Um, she was unable to go financially. Uh, so, so she heard this like voice from on high one night that said, why don't you ask? And so she began praying and she, you know, Rita's, Rita seems like a real nice lady. She's usually praying and more concerned about other people. Um, so it was really hard for her to ask for something for herself when she's praying. Uh, and then the next morning she goes to her, her class and she starts to feel some sensation in her feet and toes and she's able to wiggle her toes. Uh, and then very soon she realized she could lift her legs. And then soon after that, she was able to walk again and then she was completely healed. And so six years have gone by now at the filming of Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, Rita's, she's out there ice skating with Ron, their their life back and uh you know she she thinks it's all because of Medjugorje and you have a different interpretation I take it um well importantly uh she never went to Medjugorje Uh, yeah that's a good point she just (laughs) she she was a big Medjugorje stan but uh, yeah. never actually went to the big show. Yeah, she just thought about it real hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, we'll, we'll put this one in the uh, questionable column. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And also, Unsolved Mysteries, in order to back up Rita's claim, brings on a doctor who specializes in miraculous healings now i don't know which medical school you go to to get that degree and i'm not a doctor either but it just kind of seems to me it would have been more impressive if they'd found like an actual medical doctor just like any old general practitioner to say like 
yeah, pretty amazing. She isn't experiencing uh, symptoms anymore. I, but then I got to thinking, I, huh? I feel like yes. I feel like Robert Stack was incredulous that this guy was allowed on the show. He's like, look, it's been he should, as he should have been. It's yes. it's been a it's been a while since we've had you know like any of these crackpots on. The show was starting to get serious, and you're bringing mm-hmm. this again because I kind of yeah. It certainly feels because when when he's giving the voiceover. Uh, describing mm-hmm. Mr. Uh, uh, is Richard Kasdorf. Uh, he's like, mm-hmm. uh, he describes him as a, quote, expert in so-called miraculous healings, unquote. I feel like Stack right. kind of threw that so-called part in there just because he was like, I'm not, I'm not validating this man. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I started to wonder why isn't, because it, because Rita's story sounds pretty incredible to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was curious though how she explained her miraculous healing in her twenties when she stopped experiencing symptoms and was able to begin another career and get married and have children. Right. I wonder how she explained that one. Um, and then I was wondering, well, why couldn't they find a medical doctor to just come say, yeah, that's really impressive. Like we don't know what it is, but it could have been that. Like that's all they. You know, you want to know why? Why? Because, and I looked into it, because most people who experience MS, like 85% of people diagnosed with it, it kind of comes and goes. Oh. So they can have a couple years of their life where they have debilitating symptoms, and then it kind of just goes away, and they go for years and they don't have symptoms anymore, and then it comes back, and so on and so forth. And that's like 85% of the people who have MS. It's not, it's not a like linear degenerative, degenerative disease where you just, as time goes on, get worse and worse. It comes and it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. So uh, you're saying that's the real explanation, <laughs> probably. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the real explanation. Um, I also want to mention going back to like uh, Jill's case. Now, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been jet lagged, but I've certainly been jet lagged. And yeah. It surely it surely messes up your body. So. Assuming that Jill didn't get straight off the plane from wherever and go straight and see that priest, there was probably a day or two before they can get in with an appointment, right? I mean, that line was long. So <laughs> a long line. She fly- yeah, she flies halfway across the world. Obviously, she doesn't have any cocaine with her. She spends two days waiting to see this priest. Well, about 72 hours is a good amount of time to be detoxing, don't you think? So it's just the, the, the process. And I, I had a similar thought because they mentioned how long she was on the plane. And she was like, oh, yeah. you know, I didn't have access to any. And it was like, yeah, you're probably it's probably not going to be readily accessible uh, at Medjugorje. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and you're probably you're probably thinking how bad you felt when you got there was probably just because of jet lag. The other thing she mentioned in her segment is that she'd gone to rehab several times and it didn't take. Well, yeah, when you get back out of rehab, shit's available to you. I don't. They don't mention how long they were in um, Yugoslavia for, but I'm imagining like buying like uh, cocaine is not a simple or easy process if you don't speak Serbo-Croatian, right? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Was it wasn't it it seems pretty obvious to me that just taking her out of her environment and her situation and having people care for her and look after her and put hands on her. I mean, there is something to the power of belief, right? Right. Um 
yeah, I don't know, man. I really hate. I really hate this. Sh- I really hate this shit so much. I really hate it <laughs> so much because when you, and I'll t- I'll tell you why. When you start saying, uh, I, I unsolved mysteries at the end. Robert Stack ends the segment with like, "Who can say? Maybe it was a miracle." Um, when you start ascribing the power of belief or saying that you believe enough or that someone healed you in this way. Yeah. And you ascribe your healing to that and not, not uh, personal choices that you made to get there. Maybe a change of diet, change in behavior. Um, it sort of means that the reason that you got sick in the first place is because you didn't have enough faith. And when you found that faith again, that's when you got well. And it starts to become easy to believe that everyone who is not sick or who is sick just needs to be prayed for. They just need to pray a little bit harder. And I think that is psychologically helpful <laughs> to folks. But it but laying blame at the you know the feet of addicts or people with MS or whatever saying that the reason they're not well is because they don't have enough faith because that's the inverse of this right if you believe enough you can be healed but the reason you're not being healed is because you don't believe enough um, I think it's really destructive and I hate it a lot right I mean the thing with like, uh, with Rita's case is like what I kept thinking about was like after you know she all all of a sudden feels absolutely better. And, you know, the more she thinks back to like, you know, she, she asked, she, she asked for it as, as, as she was instructed to do. One wonders whether she starts thinking like, damn it, if only I'd asked for it like three years earlier. (laughs) Right. If only I'd thought about Medjugorje harder then. Yeah. I wouldn't have dropped my baby. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't. It's just it's bad. I and I don't like it. I I also have some harsh words about that little ending at, at the end that they have stack uh, say because mm-hmm. it involves <laughs> when when Robert Stack starts breaking out the Webster's dictionary like Webster's dictionary oh, defines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was such a it was such a like freshman in high school essay move. <laughs> That's exactly the it thought was like, I Webster's had. It was like Webster's dictionary. Yeah. Yeah, Webster's Dictionary defines a miracle as something like divine intervention, but it also can just mean a really good thing that happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, this this segment was interesting, if, if only because I, I enjoyed hearing Robert Stack say Medjugorje so many times. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a Medjugorje drinking game with this segment. Oh god. The amount of alcohol poisoning that would be resulting would be legion. Well, I don't know. You might be just kind of buzzed <laughs> at the end of the segment, <laughs> depending on what your tolerance is. Yeah. Um or we could do like um free base cocaine every time. <laughs> <laughs> so so every time Medjugorje said we we smoke some crack. <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, that 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 doesn't sound like a dan- that'd be dangerous at all. Um, but you know what would be dangerous? <laughs> Hanging out in a powder magazine. 
Can you hang? Wait, I thought a magazine was a thing that go that that goes in the gun. Uh, it is, but uh, I think isn't it also? Um, it could also be used as a term for a storage of of ammunition or black powder. Uh, I'm fair. Um, I mean, I'm not the I'm not the reenactor here. Why would I know that? You're the guy. Yeah, I will quickly type in powder magazine. Looks like there's a lot of magazines called powder. They appear to be about skiing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that tracks. Gunpowder magazine. Webster's is... Dictionary defines. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's as a a a magazine in parentheses building designed designed to store the explosive gunpowder in wooden barrels for safety. Ah. It's also a wonderful so, uh... thing. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> but but the, the, if we uh, if we sort of sidestep into Bullhead City, Arizona, 1974, we have a powder mag- abandoned powder magazine that figures pretty heavily mm-hmm. into our next segment. We have a description of the Johnson family who moved to this um, uh, small uh, to this Arizona community in 19 in the 1970s uh it's one of the i mean it's sort of standard suburban homes and often the like the the local sort of just stretch of sagebrush uh land there's this old like stone building that much earlier in the past was used for storing uh powder for I, i think for mining purposes uh, and of course, it's not being used. Yeah, for, that's what I remember. Yeah, it's not being used for that uh, uh, anymore. It's just in this abandoned building. It's kind of like I mean, it, the the at when they interview um, when they interview Scott Johnson, the little kid that uh, uh, who's playing with his friends around this thing. His mm-hmm. mother describes, you know, it's it describes it as the sort of building that kids would naturally gravitate to and use as a fort. And I, I have to agree. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, to, to, ha- mm-hmm. to have just that sort of small, simple structure, like you better believe it, uh, any kids in the neighborhood are using that as a, as a clubhouse. Um, mm-hmm. So we get some uh, reenactment of Scott and his friend, Peter Hill, uh, along with some of their other, uh, the other boys in the neighborhood, uh, you know, sort of ha- having the sort of gunfights that kids, uh, small kids have where they just, they're firing infinitely at each other and no one's going down. Mm-hmm. So it kind of operates off the same, same, uh, logic as, as big Hollywood movies. <laughs> uh, and we get a flash forward to, a d- day when there was the, a fire in this small structure. And the fire department shows up, uh, puts out the fire, but unfortunately they discover the bodies of Scott and Peter who were uh, killed in the fire. Uh, the, you know, the conclusion the fire department came up with was or was that the the kids had been playing with gasoline and matches, 
As you do. As as which I mean, it's not uh, it's not unheard of for small boys to be playing with matches. Um, mm-hmm. But Fire Chief Larry Adams has a had a different interpretation of events. They show him checking out the door in the reenactment. They show show him checking out the door. It's like there's nothing to to keep, even keep the door wedged closed in any way. And very uh, soon thereafter, he finds a piece of wood with a circular burn mark uh, to, suggesting that, because uh, there's like a hole where like a handle would normally be in this door, uh, suggesting that it was held up against the door. Uh, and, uh, you know, and his conclusion obviously being that whoever was trying to hold this door closed to kill these two kids in this fire you know, the door is metal, so it was going to get hot very quickly. So they had to find something to to hold the door with. And I just have to say, uh, Larry Adams should be very flattered by the actor they cast uh, to play him. Because the guy is a lot more handsome than Larry Adams is in real life. I mean, I'm not trying to to knock Fire Chief Larry Adams, but like they, if I was, if you know, if... I was him, and they cast this guy to play me. I'd be, I'd be pretty satisfied. Uh, though it's kind of interesting, they uh, they depict uh, they the guy playing him has sort of a 1950s motorcycle enthusiast haircut sort of look to him. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. We get we get treated to a a local newspaper front cover. Mm-hmm. The article be- about this incident simply has the headline, Two Boys Die Here. And there's a picture of the... Yeah, it was really strange. Yeah, that, <laughs> I, it was very jarring. I was like, what? It just sounded... I mean, I it really makes you question who's working at that local newspaper. It's like, that's the best you can come uh, up the, with? <laughs> the most literal man on earth, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like, okay. Uh, And so we get a couple of different accounts of people seeing two grown men uh, stuffing. Well, one person who is a felon, uh, he comes forward uh, and he describes seeing two grown men throwing, basically throwing the two boys into the building and setting the fire. And he like, er, and he comes by to like see what's happening. And the, I, I, I was amazed because like the the law enforcement official they're talking with, uh, who's describing the the interview with this this felon, uh, like in the reenactment. Um, the the guy who's the, who's holding the board against the door tells this this individual curious individual like just take a walk, and the police officer described this as a um, as a street term for get lost. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I I I I I don't know. Well, I have to imagine like the what was actually said could not be said on unsolved mysteries. Right. Right. Uh, but if that's the case, just don't, just, just, you know, don't have audible dialogue in the reenactment because it just makes it seem like this cop has like 
a very sense sensitive and delicate de- delicate temperament like just take a walk like oh easy with the harsh language please um and then we have two we have two other individuals who came forward to, to describe seeing the uh, two men at the at that shed uh i guess unfortunately because of their own troubles with the law they weren't uh they weren't really believed by law enforcement um so this is uh, another one of those situations where the uh, sort of official story was like, oh, it was an accident or something. And um, the uh, the parents are very much convinced of the opposite conclusion. And we have a reenactment where one of the kids, uh, I guess this was something that happened very shortly before this, this terrible tragedy. One of the kids finds a $100 bill near the shack. So... It seems to me like the implication is like maybe this shack was actually being used as a drop-off point for some sort of illicit transactions. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, so, or, or you know, it was, there's something something going on there. I mean, it was you know, like like uh, some some transactions between two different sets of uh, of bad dudes, as as Doctor Weinberg at UNR might describe them. <laughs> Uh, <sighs> yeah, and uh, unfortunately, this case is unsolved. What do you? So, do you think then the boys saw something they weren't supposed to see or happen across product, and that's why they got they were killed? I mean, that was really the only like explanation I could come up with. I mean, I it could be possible that just like a couple of really sadistic individuals are like, Hey, let's go kill two kids. I mean, that's not, that's not unheard of, but it just, Mm -hmm. it just, it seems to me like, um, you know, like, like a structure like that, I could just as young boys might gravitate towards it as a clubhouse. I could see people being like, Hey, you know, this is a, a place where we could, you know, meet without, being watched or something i don't know i mean what what other, other explanation is there crystal <laughs> i can't think of one i yeah i don't know like i i gotta be honest with you when this segment came up on unsolved mysteries i was still pretty focused on like solving the intermittent multiple sclerosis <laughs> diagnosis ah. from the previous one so yeah. i gotta admit i wasn't paying super close attention uh yeah, this sucks. What the heck? Sorry, I'm I'm I didn't have much to say about that one. It's just re- a terrible tragedy. There's not really much. Yeah, there's not really much like to go because we don't get we don't get a resolution to this, and there yeah there really aren't any suspects. Uh, just two unidentified men uh, around the shack. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So. Instead, we could uh, we could go uh, t- to what was it, Missouri? Yeah, Clinton, Missouri. Population nine thousand. Uh, sort of community where everyone knows each other. Mm. That at least that's we what get, what it's described a, as in the opening of the segment. Uh, we get uh, we get a lot of them towns. You know what I mean? Like, how could this ever happen here? And it's like. Bad shit happens everywhere. 
about that? How about that hot take? Ooh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, 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 I dig what you're saying. I dig what you're saying. Basically, you know, anywhere where there's human beings, there's gonna be, uh, there's gonna be bad shit. I don't know if uns- so. We're gonna talk about Angela Hammond. Um, I don't know if the Unsolved Mysteries segment mentioned this, but the wiki definitely does that um, at the time of her disappearance, and Angie, as she's called, uh, was four months pregnant. Oh, I don't recall that being mentioned. Because it seems important uh, to me. Yeah. But yeah, they don't they don't mention it in the um, in the segment, but they do mention that she had been engaged to Rob Schaefer. So she's. Angie's 20 years old, uh, and, uh, Rob, Rob, I guess, is the same age or whatever, and, um, so one night in April, they're out, uh, they went to a cookout at a friend's or something, and Rob drops, uh, off Angie at her house, I guess? Yeah. No, she well, drops she dropped him, him off. off. Yeah, yeah. Is that... Because I don't remember her driving in the segment. That's why I'm confused. Yeah. But whatever. I guess she Yeah, I guess she was on the driver's side. Okay. She drops him off because uh, Rob's got to babysit his younger brother because his mom's, uh, his mom's uh, at work. And so they were going to get back together later at night once the mom got home from work. Um, so Angie at 10 o'clock at night goes to spend time with another friend and then for some reason she's like in the town square. Yeah. And calls Rob instead of just going to his house, right? Yeah, cuz I thought the plan was for them to meet up and why did Angie have to wait for the mom to come home? She could just go over there, right? Maybe maybe the mom looks very dimly on uh people being in her house when she's not there. Yeah, maybe. I, I but know, Angie that's the can't only explanation I could come up with. No. Angie can't get any more pregnant. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's kind of already. <laughs> well, but I mean, it, I mean, whatever was going to happen. But it, you but know. it doesn't make it any less sinful, Crystal. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. For some reason, Angie's in the town square. Of Clinton, and at around eleven fifteen p.m., she give she calls Rob on a payphone. Uh, even though, again, uh, the payphone is about seven blocks from Rob's house. Really, don't know what, why. If the plan was to meet up again later, why she just didn't go over to his house? Yeah. Um, while she's talking, while she's on the phone, okay, this guy and the tr- the truck is very prominent. It's a very prominent truck situation. Okay, this, mm-hmm. this, uh, what I would say is a very nice, um, late model, like 1970s Ford pickup truck. Okay. Uh, it's green and white. I mean, real, a real classic. I would love to have this truck. Okay. And it's got, um, this decal again, very prominent decal covering the back window of like a fish jumping out of water. Okay. And a dirty man gets out of the truck and he comes towards the um, comes towards the payphone and he uses he uses the tries to use the other payphone in the phone bank. And so the reason we know all this information is because Angie's describing it to Rob 
while she's on the phone with him. And she says, oh, this guy's kind of gross. I don't, I don't know if I really want to be here right now. And the, um, and the reenactment, like, yeah. the actress kind of just says that, like, at normal voice level to the point where you would think that the guy coming out of the truck would hear her. Uh, right, <laughs> right. Like, whoa. Um, so the guy uses the phone. He goes back to his truck. He gets a flashlight out. And he's shining around the area like he's looking for something. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Angie, I guess, while she's on the phone with Rob, asks this man if he needs to use the phone. And the man says, I guess, audible enough for Rob, the boyfriend, to hear it, that, like, oh, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll try again in a minute. And, um, and then Rob hears a scream mm-hmm. on the other end of the line. And Rob immediately drops his line of the phone, gets in his car, drives the seven blocks to wherever that phone was. Um, I, you know, assuming Angie mentioned where she was calling from exactly. Yeah. Too. Because she had just left a friend's house. Right, right. So she could be, I don't know how many pay phones are in Clinton, Missouri. Maybe Rob knows there's only two. So it goes down to the town square. Um, he's able to see this green and white truck go past in the opposite direction. He hears Angie scream his name from the window. He, he throws it in reverse, flips the station wagon around, starts chasing down the truck. But in the act of throwing it into reverse too fast, he kills the transmission of his car. The truck gets away. Angie's never seen again. Yeah, I didn't get that. Like, Uh, is it like, I mean, is it because he... Because, I mean, I've put my car in reverse many a times, and it hasn't screwed up the car. Was it because he he put it in reverse before he had come to a stop? Is that what... Yeah, I think he just threw it in... Yeah, I think it was still moving and driving. He threw it into reverse. That would screw up your transmission, I would think. Okay. I think most most modern cars have, like, prevent you from doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just do that, but an older car, you probably could, and it would screw up your transmission pretty bad. Right, right. Um... So, uh, so everyone's looking for Angie, uh, you know, the cops talk about trying to find the green and white Ford truck, but they, um, couldn't find the one with the fish decal on it. Uh, then invest, you know, they're like, well, what about this guy, Rob? Cause I mean, I'm watching this segment and I'm like, what about this guy, Rob? <laughs> because this, all of this, this from the like the phone call at the payphone calling him, and she's only seven blocks away. All of this shit sounds very made up. Hmm. So <laughs> I see what you're. Um, s- but I guess they gave scratching at. <laughs> yeah. Um. They don't mention this in the segment. They do mention it in the wiki. I guess they gave Rob a polygraph and he passed, but he wasn't able to corroborate a story, right? Because he was supposed to be babysitting, which theoretically. His little brother would have been in bed. Yeah. And his mom wasn't home yet. So he was like, he didn't really have an alibi. Um, so, yeah. So the de- de- detectives or whatever just clear him completely. Uh, and then there was this, there are these other incidents of women around that area of Missouri being abducted. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, and bo- both like working in convenience mm-hmm. stores, right? Right, right, right. So one of them had been had been abducted, and her body was found, and another one had been abducted, and her body's never been found. 
and um, and one of them worked in a convenience store in Nevada, Missouri. And yeah, that I was like, what's Robbie got to say about that? Well, Nevada. I I can actually tell you a, a, a little bit about that, Crystal, because one of my father's mm. favorite things to mention, like persistently, was that there was mm. the, was the small town of Nevada, Missouri, um, and how mm-hmm. if you went and went there and you tried to ask for a postcard for for Nevada, Missouri, they would get huffy and mm-hmm. say. This town is Nevada, not Nevada. So yeah. <laughs> so that. So what I'm t- <laughs> what I'm taking from this is anybody that says Nevada is wrong on all counts. All counts, in all capacity. Yeah, <laughs> you're wrong about the state, and you're uh-huh. wrong about the small town in Missouri. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> uh, and you're wrong for America. Next segment. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, so they didn't find Angie. Yeah, it's... Um, this, is, this is another bummer ending. I, I... I was really... like I was really hoping that we'd get some sort of at least te- text follow-up. And all we get is like, you know, they're, they're still looking, you know, uh, there's... What sort of made it like a doubly depressing ending is they had... Near the end of the segment, they 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 redo the reenactment of the of the guy kidnapping Angie, but they do it in this weird slow motion with a very ominous music chord, and mm-hmm. this 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 season of Unsolved Mysteries was on the air about the same time as the original run of Twin Peaks. Interesting. And I kind of feel like this this weird sort of depiction of the kidnapping with the, you know, Mm -hmm. not just slow motion, but like this sort of, I don't even know how to describe it, but this sort of distorted, you know, um, disjointed slow motion with this, this ominous music. It feels like... I mean, there was a couple of scenes in the original run of Twin Peaks that were kind of like this. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Whenever there was something really bad that happened, so I kind of, I kind of feel like the uh, the producers of Unsolved Mysteries were like, "Hey, Twin Peaks is really hot uh, right now in the ratings. Let's try <laughs> to uh, <laughs> let's uh, let, let's try a few things out here." Yeah, I think, though, like, even going back to season one, there was a lot of times where they would do a really slow either pan out or pan in shot to the point of it being really creepy. Hmm. Um, so I feel like that may, you know, maybe Twin Peaks kind of like took a little bit from Unsolved Mysteries. I refuse you know? to believe that, Crystal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, man, you know, you know what I refuse to believe. What do you... is that? Is that Lee Young uh, <laughs> set his own car on fire? Yeah, actually, I think I think with Lee Young's case, the uh, we we weren't getting any bullshit uh, alternative hypothesis from law enforcement. Just sort of shrugging the shoulders, a shrug of the shoulders, and like, we don't know what happened. But yes, 
we if we travel back to Arizona, only this time Scottsdale, um, we mm-hmm. follow Lee Young, who was a he was a bank fraud investigator, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was probably busting up. You know the the Medford hustle left and right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, the, I, I guess I guess I guess he would be the nemesis of, uh, of of our favorite Medford uh, Medford hustlers. Uh, I guess and, and being mm-hmm. stationed in Arizona, he's he's within striking distance of Vegas, which is where where they all seem yeah. to eventually go anyway. Um, but yes, uh, Lee Young. We have a re the re the segment starts out with a reenactment of some, uh, you know some some unidentified individual dumping gasoline on his car and setting it ablaze, um, mm-hmm. and we basically unsolved mysteries informs us that Lee Young he left a restaurant at twelve thirty p.m. on May fourth, nineteen ninety. Uh, later in that day, there were three calls made from his phone car phone. And uh, to a payphone and to some woman who denies she ever talked with him. On May 5th, his Lincoln Town car was found engulfed in flames. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so then we don't really have much left in this seg- segment. Uh, basically, just some speculation as to what happened. Uh, there was some, you know, basically the idea is one of the cases he was investigating uh, had some sort of illicit connections and that he may have been killed for what he was, uh, what he was working on. Uh, we don't really get that, you know, m- much in the way of really reenactments, except for like, I think like mm-hmm. a couple of FBI guys coming into his office and him explaining to him what they, what he found uh, that reenactment's mostly notable because he has a secretary outside of his office and if you watch her as soon as the door closes Mm -hmm. she's looking through the window (laughs) at him the entire time to the point where like if i was lee and i noticed her looking at me me and the the two fbi guys like that i would walk up to the window and like close the blinds i was like (laughs) like what are you I, i was just like what are you doing I, I mean, shouldn't you? She's not. She's not very subtle. No, no, not at all. Um, the basically, he has a. Uh, the clues are he has this plum co- colored Lincoln Town car, and they do a. They do like I assume there must have been some like footage shot of him eating in the in the restaurant that they chose not to use because mm-hmm. then they use it to like. Zo- do a, a zoom in on his watch because it's this Rolex that is mm-hmm. like encrusted with diamonds. Um, you know, so that could be a clue. I guess if you find such a watch, it, maybe it's Lee's. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's all there is to this segment. <laughs> it was a yeah, it moved, it moved, it was like a blink and you miss it segment yeah. kind of at the end yeah of this i mean so much time was was spent on Medjugorje <laughs> that uh poor poor lee didn't get his didn't get his due here i'm afraid because this was probably a much more interesting segment than was let on 
You know what I, I mean? I think you're right. I think if uh, they had devoted more than three minutes to this segment, it probably, you, you could probably have some decent reenactments in here, and there was probably enough real life sort of interesting twists and turns. Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I, unfortunately, they did not really give Lee his due. And this is a this is another case where we we didn't get any any mystery solved in this entire episode. Yeah, I mean it's this this episode was kind of frustrating. I'm I'm looking forward. I mean I'm sorry to jump ahead if I shouldn't be doing that right now, but I am really looking forward to to the next episode. <gasps> like really looking forward to it. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. okay. Very exciting. Very exciting stuff. But this one was just kind of like, well, just a bunch of shitty stuff happened. Except for the beginning, I guess that wasn't shitty. Like, people were, like, healed or whatever. Yeah. They think happened. Yeah. Um, If you would like a healing of your own, you can contact us at uh, Reenacted Pod. We're on Twitter. um, And we will uh, light a candle for you. And yours. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to do any of that shit. But, you know, if you want to, like, yell at us on the internet about how I'm wrong, that's fine. I welcome that sort of thing. Uh, you can also email us. Guys, where are the shitty town shitty town stories? The shitty small town stories? Where are the shitty small town stories? What are you doing to me here? Crystal. Email Chris, us. Chris, Crystal, Crystal's feeling. Yes. Robbie. Yeah. She, 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 she wants I'm, those stories. I'm sad. I'm neglected. I want to hear just about dumb stuff that happened in your stupid small town. Uh, and so you can do that at reenactedpod at gmail.com. I think there's like a Facebook situation. Yeah, go well. to reenacted fans, uh, reenacted podcast fans or something. We're, we're on Facebook. And, and please mm-hmm. go to, if you enjoy this set, uh, show, this podcast, go to to iTunes and give us five stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've made it this far and you didn't enjoy yourself, then don't just turn off. Just the podcast yeah, yeah. And never listen. You to don't. It you don't have to listen to us anymore. That's okay. If we if we weren't your cup of tea, we we understand. That's fine. That's fine. You don't you don't have to listen. Yeah. We're I'm, we're sorry. Please please. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not. Are we sorry? You just don't have <laughs> if, to listen. Look, it's fine. if it will keep them from from trying to get retribution on us by 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 giving us shitty ratings <laughs> i will i will say i'm sorry i will heck mm. i'll even i'll even sit down and i'll eat all four pounds of that vanilla ice cream that we talked about a couple of summers ago mm-hmm. i will wow i will do that actually maybe that wow. might maybe we should do an episode where i eat eat four pounds of vanilla ice cream that would be so upsetting to our producer (laughs) that that would be have to be one that i would edit but that's okay i don't think he wants that (laughs) he he sends you an email it's like look i I just wanted to. I quit. I I just wanted to be a producer on a podcast. I didn't realize you were getting me involved in some sort of weird <laughs> snuff situation. 
Uh, it was horrifying, <laughs> Christo. It was horrifying listening to this to this man, especially especially on the last couple of pounds of ice cream. Please. The last couple of pounds. <laughs> oh, that sounds disgusting and wonderful, but bad for your body. Maybe maybe we'll talk about that off air. Okay. The logistics of how that would have to happen. All right. Um, Robbie. <laughs> Do you do you want to do the thing? Join us next week for another edition of Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> <laughs>